coming off the top of the cage. It is the top of the cage podcast. I am one of your hosts, Bill, joined as always by my wrestling confidant, my tag team partner. Do a little bit of a tornado tag here at top of the cage, considering all cage matches are typically a tornado tag. And that is Justin Juice Cannon. What's going on, Juice? How are we doing tonight? Doing good, man. It is um we're recording this on the first ever National Cowboy Shit Day. Cowboy Shit, Hangman's the champ. Uh, I'm so freaking happy, dude. I love Hangman. All is all is right in the wrestling world right now, and, and happy happy Cowboy Day shit to you. Or how about Cowboy Shit Day to you? Yes, thank you. And I got very very hammered while watching Full Gear. Which is kind of sad because I had to watch most of it by myself. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. But um, it was still fire to watch that moment. And uh, our buddy Kyle, I think, called me right as he won, which was really convenient. Um, yeah, I'm happy for him. And now uh, <clears throat> we can talk full gear as a whole, just jump in right in this episode. Um well, first, what are your takeaways? What out of ten, what do you give Full Gear? I think I would give Full Gear overall eight two. I think that it was a really good pay per view. I don't think it was necessarily the greatest AW pay per view that's ever been put on. I don't necessarily think I'm immediately going to go put it on my Mount Rushmore. Uh, I think that the moment being that the final moment of it is a Mount Rushmore moment for AEW in itself, considering it is the fourth AEW world champion they've crowned. But, you know, I, I think that the the pay-per-view overall had good matches, some a little bit more forgettable than others. But I'm not going to say it was bad, but I don't think it was the best, but I definitely think it was good. I give it probably like a, a 9.1, to be honest. Um, I think... We were saying we did our Mount Rushmore right before. Honestly, I think this takes Grand Slam off and put this on. I think the last two pay-per-views they've had are my two favorites. And I know recency bias and stuff like that. But I just think ever since they added Punk and um, Danielson and Cole, the quality of just everything has gone up. And, I mean, it was already good. I, I was a huge fan of it. Um, I th- there were only two matches like I really didn't weren't that into and I still thought they're okay matches like um it was the inner circle uh, or an inner circle versus um, American top team match uh, that was okay I wasn't really that into that and then um Cody and Pac versus Andrade and Malachi um that was solid but nothing special like I, I don't really remember much from the match it was just okay everything else though I was really in that match, especially the first four they they opened cards so well MJF versus Darby that's my match that they just told such a brilliant story and it had the perfect finish to that and um mgf now defeated all of the other pillars and telling a great story there i was hoping wardlow would turn on him but that could still happen what do you think of the match the opening match billy i actually agree that i think it was the match of the night i thought that the pacing of the match was really good i Figured that it probably would have a, a funny finish. And I think it really just plays well into the MJF character, though, of, of using the ring 
to get the win and he because he just can't put Darby away. But that's the thing about both these guys. It seems like they both are just warriors, hard to put away, and overall just a fun match. I think that these two are going to have one of those company-defining rivalries, being two of the four pillars, being two of the youngest stars in the company, being two guys who I think are primed and ready to go to win uh, some form of a championship. Uh, I, I would love to see MJF kind of take that jump into now chasing a world title. Uh, if he's the one that beats Hangman for it, I think that would be pretty interesting. I don't think that should happen anytime soon. I think that that would be an interesting way to have somebody beat him. Maybe you could have Adam Cole do it too, but we'll get more into Adam Cole's match a little bit later into our discussion. But overall, I thought that was a really good match. Definitely my favorite of the night. Now, for the second match that happened, Lucha Bros versus FTR. The reason why I am not going to say that I thought this match was as good as you probably feel it was, the finish just made zero sense to me. Why are heel FTR, who are masterclass tag team workers, not fighting harder for the fact that the wrong guy got pinned? Right. Like it, and it just made no sense on why, why do they even start using the masks in general at the end? Like why? I don't know. Like that, that, that to me, honestly, just put a kind of a tower, a sour taste of the match in my mouth. And maybe I just wasn't following the match well enough to know why those should have been happening. But I don't know. Like it just seemed weird and out of place considering that all four guys in this match are all so good at tag team wrestling. Yeah, they definitely should have fought for the result a little bit more or showed it more on camera, I think. They did a little bit. But I still thought it was a good match because I thought these two teams really gelled together. And I think they're still telling the story. And I think they had to get the masks involved since that was part of the storyline. But it was kind of weird. But um, I think they wanted to go for a very weird finish so they can continue this. The, yeah, the, the finish is a little wonky, and I actually agree with that. It kind of left a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth. In my mouth. But um, I still like the entirety of the match. I still thought it was really good. Like, I remember that wacky finish, because even though it wasn't the best finish, it was still interesting. And I didn't, like, despise it like a Bray Wyatt stuff on Hell in a Cell or something like that. Like, um, I'm like, I'm interested to see what they take, take this, what they're going to turn this into. Because they're good at turning wacky, wonky finishes into good storylines or into something good. AW succeeds at that. And then the whole match was just good because I'm a huge fan of FTR and uh, I also always impressed by Lucha Bros. So it was good. Was it anywhere as close as good as the first match? No, but I, I still like it. I still thought it was a good match. Now, I'll lead us to the next match. A third match falls count anywhere between Christian Cage and Jurassic Express. They face Super Quick, which is Adam Cole and the Young Bucks. This was probably my third favorite match of the night. And it was really fun. It was awesome. The finish really was good. Like, I love, like, Christian, Jungle Boy asking for Christian Cage to get, you know, I want to finish this. And he's like, yeah, it's your time now. That was really great. Um, I was surprised that Jurassic Express won too. I was I was honestly expecting Adam Cole to like be the one to get the pin and, and win the match for his team. So I was kind of shocked, but um, it was still good. It was it totally the story and actually made sense. Yeah, great match. 
false counting for it, though it wasn't it didn't really turn false counting where until the end and it really they didn't really go to that many places i think the only person that really understood what false count anywhere meant or been in that type of match was christian because he was the, he's the first person to really go in the crowd and the the reason that they got brought to the ramp at the end it was christian because the other guys they're just like oh which is you'd think Adam Cole no, or the Young Bucks, their experience. But uh, what's your take on the match? Yeah, I also thought it was weird when uh, Christian and I believe I don't remember who it was Nick or Matt, whoever went to the back with Christian. They they filmed it on BTE, like the whole sequence. They went to like an elevator. They fought through the stand, like they fought through the concourse. And I just think it was weird that they left that kind of exclusively to BTE. I mean, I, I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm a guy who likes to promote my things on social media. I like to make sure things are exclusive to certain parts of your content, but it just makes no sense on why it's not like, why there isn't like a camera following them. Why are they not showing it to the fans on screen? Like, I think people would pop to see people fighting in an elevator, then go through the concourse just to come back to where they were and then eventually get themselves back to the stage, you know? It was just weird. I thought that was a little strange. But overall, I really liked that. I think that they did do a lot of fighting on the outside of the ring. You know, I think that's kind of more of what the Falls Count Anywhere stipulation was more representing was like with with the table spots, with, um, you know, fighting on the ramp and fighting through the stage, fighting through the, the fans and everything. You know, I'm, I'm not necessarily a, a big proponent of a Falls County where a match needs to go to a bunch of different places, so long as you tell the story pretty well on the outside of the ring. And I, I think that they did do that extremely well. And I know you and I were talking about this offline as well. And I truly believe that that was a star-making moment, more specifically for Jungle Boy, but I think that Jurassic Express overall, that match just really proved how over they were. Luchasaurus got so many luchasaurus chance for him being the big man of the match him being the muscle him being the guy just was throwing people around and i really liked that christian you know gave jungle boy the chair for the concerto and i thought everything about the match seemed pretty symbolic and i thoroughly enjoyed it uh, i don't think that like adam cole is super quick at all i really hurt by them losing there adam cole and the bucks are so established within AEW and the wrestling world and i i think it was a good call for uh, Christian and the Jurassic Express to go over there. Definitely my, I would probably say that might be my second favorite match of the night, honestly. The next match, I believe, was Brian Danielson versus Miro for the um, World Eliminator title tournament finals. And um, that, that, was, that was really good. Like I said, the first four matches really, really hit it. It was very technical, lots of submissions. And I thought the finish was very fitting for what Danielson wants his run in AEW to be. And Brian Danielson versus Hangman is going to be a banger. And also, I think it added a good unpredictability to the match because they both, Miro only has one singles loss. Danielson had zero before that. And, um, you know, usually, I mean, everyone assumed Hangman would win the title, which he did. So people will say, oh, heel versus face but like for this we all know that this title match that's upcoming for the winner of this tournament wouldn't be a pay-per-view it would be on tv probably winter's coming so you don't have to have a heel win so it could go either way and i think people are probably leaning danielson including my, myself and um 
he did it. It's good submission match. And Miro, Miro's really AW is a perfect fit for him because he's like getting to tell his stories more and really be more of that unstoppable force that he should have been in WWE. Yeah, I like the match. It was good. What about you, bud? I agree. I think that from a technical standpoint, the match was really good. I think that the finish I thought was really interesting. I, I was very surprised to see uh, Miro get knocked out rather than, you know, pinned or submitted or whatever. But I think that that's really good for Miro to help really protect him in that sense. Cause somebody had to win in that match there. You know, you can't do a tie to end the tournament. You can't, you know, you can't, I feel like you, you can believably tell Brian pinning or submitting Miro but the thing about how the match was being presented was like Miro was just so dominant throughout it that it almost didn't seem like it almost seemed like how is Danielson going to put away Miro? And I was really interested in the finish. I liked that the DDT dropped Miro right on the tip top of his head and then the uh, submission got him out. And, uh, you know, I thought that was a really cool finish, cool end of the match. And I think that the the Miro as uh, the gods, gods, um, former champion, I guess, because I just want to call him God's champion. I, I think that that concept is so interesting for a wrestling character. I've always I've always thought of, like, a character similar to that would work very well in wrestling because it's not necessarily defined by a specific religion. It's literally just his religion of what he believes in and his hot wife. So <laughs> I, I can get behind that. So, yeah, overall, I thought that was a really good match. Uh, definitely delivered. Uh, it would have been definitely pretty cool to see Mox and Brian Danielson throwing it down in full gear for the finals, but I am not upset seeing Miro and Danielson go at it. Yeah, it was a good replacement for um, the event. Um, next, we have Cody Rhodes and Pac versus uh, Malachi Black and Andrade and Idolo. This is just a decent match. Um, it's two wrestlers I really like. One wrestler I really respect, and one wrestler I'm not the biggest fan of, but he still knows he's still a great worker. I'm talking about Cody. I'm not the biggest Cody fan, but he's a great worker. He knows what he's doing. Um, Pac's really good in the ring, and then the other two, I'm a huge fan of both of them. Um, so I, I didn't have high expectations for this match, even despite that. I kind of expected it to just be a decent match, uh, an average, kind of forgettable match. Just, um, yeah, no, nothing bad, but nothing special. And that, that's what it was for me. Um, it does suck that Black was hurt in the match, and uh, I wish him a speedy recovery. But yeah, that, I don't really have much to talk about this match, no spots or anything that really happened besides um, wish Malachi best, and it was okay for you. Yeah, I, I don't have too much else to add to that, honestly. Um, it wasn't a match I was really looking forward to. Um, definitely wasn't bad. Uh, honestly, the match was on more in the background. I was kind of doing stuff around the house while that match was on. And, you know, listening to it and kind of catching the glimpses of the big spots I thought was pretty good. I, I think all four guys are really great in the ring, but... You know, it was just kind of one of those matches that seemed to me at least a little thrown together. And, uh, you know, it was, I hate to say, I I think it was towards the bottom of my rankings of the 10 matches, or I'm sorry, nine matches that we saw on the card. So, uh, but 
I think it's closer to the bottom. Um, and now let's go to the next match. Um, a woman's title, Britt Baker versus Ty Conti. I thought technically this is – I was really into it. Um, it had me glued. I knew Britt Baker was going to win, and also there was never – they never really created a moment where you thought Ty Conti actually could win this to change your mind. I, I always knew that Britt Baker was going to walk away with it. But it was still good action. I, I still think Ty has come so – so far in her in-ring ability. I'm, I've always been a huge fan of her. Brit's uh, amazing, too. And um, they put on a great match, I thought. Great title match. Yeah, my opinion on this probably is is a little bit uh, on the unpopular side, but I didn't think it was the best match of Brit's reign. I don't think it necessarily was Tay's best match either. And I, I don't know. I, it just wasn't, to me, anything... Over the top, great. I thought that both did very well. I thought that the match definitely in the scope of this card was was well, definitely on the top half of the performing uh, top half of the of the spectrum of matches on the card. But yeah, I don't know. Like I I don't know what I was really expecting from the match. Um definitely thought it was a good championship match, but you know. In the long term of both of these girls' careers, I don't think that this will be a match that we're talking about pretty often. That's fair. And I, I think the main reason that being, like I said, like um, I, I don't think it was ever really believable that Britt was going to lose and that kind of downplays it a bit. But I thought the moves they did was a lot. I thought I thought in terms of Ty's matches, it was her best because um, she's had a limited – match for Poyo, and I think that's this is the longest match that she's ever had. So it's the one that she got to showcase her skills the most. And uh, I think that was good for her. Well, we can just transition to the next match. Um, it's one of the fan favorites. Um, I, I, I loved it because I'm a fan of both these guys. It's Eddie Kingston versus CM Punk. And, um, this is mainly a storytelling match. Um, two guys that are known for their amazing mic ability. And the fact that Eddie Kingston was able to get a crowd to boo CM Punk and get behind him more is incredible uh, it speaks to the talent they had in the moments when they're both bloody and flipping each other off uh, that was a great spot uh it was brutal it was, it was everything i wanted the match to be i, I guess in terms of quality I, I would like a little bit more from it in terms of like um certain spots but still like it was what i expected it to be i expected it to be brutal and it was brutal and they kind of made it seem like this could still continue and I'm all down for that because I'm all down for more promo battles between these two. Uh, what do you think about this match, Bill? I thought it was weird that it was the shortest match of the night. It went a solid 11 minutes. Uh, the next shortest match for the main card pay-per-view was a 15-minute match, which was the women's title match that we were talking about prior. I like When the match was over, like, I was like, wait, it's over? Like They're, they're done already? Because I, I, I thought my internal clock, it was about a 10-minute match. And like I said, it turned out to be close to 11. And I think for the 11 minutes that it did run, it was pretty good. I definitely expected more out of it. And I think that the story is going to continue to be told between these two. I really like that the handshake really never happened. I like Eddie kind of shuckering, punching CM Punk before. Because at that point, I almost was like, holy shit, Eddie might win now. You know, like I... I and kind of what you were saying, the crowd was getting behind Eddie throughout the match. And I was like, man, that's, that's believable now for him to win. And 
I know Punk's been all about putting guys over who are on the up and coming. And I mean, Eddie is one of those guys in AEW right now. He's a guy that if you need him, you can thrust him into any position on the card and he knocks it out of the park. So I, I wanted a little bit more out of it. Again, I think, I think that this match I was really looking forward to and I had a bigger expectation for, but I thought it was weird that it was so short and, um, you know, I, I definitely would like to see maybe a stipulation match between these two guys to follow. Before I move to the next match, I just want to say, I think the reason that it wasn't longer is because they had that four-out window, and this was one of the last matches. So I think it's just time. They just like, oh, we have to give Hangman play time. And that five-on-five match, that's going to need time, too. So they're like, you know, to cut this a little short. So I think that's what happened there. But, um, yeah, definitely want a stipulation match between them. So now let's move on to the next one. And it's uh, Inner Circle versus Men of the Year and American Top Team. Uh, Inner Circle got the win. Uh, I'll be perfectly honest with everyone Listen, I watched the majority of the match, but I think the last five minutes, I didn't. But I did see who won. Like, I woke up, so saw, saw the Inner Circle won. I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and, um... I don't know, n- nothing really, like, I thought, I was hoping it'd be, like, a fun match, and there's, you know, a toaster getting involved, and, like, they were trying, it's Minneapolis Street Fights, like, hockey sticks and stuff, but I never just got into it, um, which is weird, because I'm probably one of, like, the few people that are actually, like, kind of entertained by this feud on TV. A lot of people weren't into it, and this match wasn't something that people looked forward to, and I think for me, I like the feud, but I still was kind of met on my match expectations because it's like three guys who've never been in the ring before and one guy who you know is not going to do much and just going to run around and try not to get hit. <laughs> That's what happened. And it was okay. Um, you know, you had to give Chris, Chris Jericho needs a pay-per-view match. So, you know, it, it was what it was. It was my least favorite match of um, the pay-per-view. Yeah, I don't have anything else to say about it. <laughs> I honestly don't even have much to say on it at all. It was a match that happened, and Dan Lambert got pinned. And a toaster was used as a weapon. I get the whole Chris Jericho and Sammy, and you know they all needed a pay-per-view match, but it just didn't do it for me. Definitely my least favorite match of the night. Considering I knew it was coming next which is Hangman defeating Kenny. Adam Page fucking did it. I was worried for a second. When the Bucks came out at the end, I was like, oh my God, they're going to fuck Hangman. And then you got the nod. The nod I thought was great storytelling. Like I got to give AEW a lot of credit that they did not fuck this story up throughout the builds for it, the promos, the contract signing, the the ending, the very emotional ending of having the Bucks finally being in Hangman's corner for him to win the AEW championship. Dark Order coming out and putting Hangman on their shoulders after. Hangman refusing the beer and just hugging the Dark Order after. It, it was all just mwah. so such a good story, such a rewarding story as a fan that I've we've been so used to WWE not being able to tell these great, really long-term storylines where AW is like, hold my fucking beer. And now we celebrate cowboy shit day because of it. 
I love it. You know, Hangman's my AEW favorite. Um, I think when the Bucks came out, I still, you know, they had to make a choice. You know, that's the story telling, like, Hangman on the episode before saying, don't get involved in a match or else. And he also apologized for how he cost him a title in the past and such like that. And when they came out, I'm like, oh, what's happening? Come on, don't, don't screw me on my Hangman moment. And they didn't. And like you said, the nod was this perfect moment. It was just such a well-done match. This is my second favorite match of the card, but it was my favorite moment. Just that nod, the buckshot lariat, the one, two, three, cowboy shit, let's go. And then Dark Order coming out and they just stand at the, the ramp and then he's like, nah, you come in here. You come in here, guys. Uh, I loved it. I'm all for it. Uh, I can't wait to see um, what Dynamite holds um, tonight because we're recording this on a Wednesday. Move on to push job release. We got two of them today. I'll explain the rules. Um, for first, you push, push, um, push from the top card. The main feature man, the face of the company, a world champion, or a woman of the company. Um, job doesn't necessarily mean jobber. It just means they can only be a gatekeeper or a mid-card champion at best. At least you have to make a tough decision. It sucks, but you have to. And there's plenty of other wrestling companies in the sea, so they'll have opportunities elsewhere. And um, we can actually start with yours this time if you want. So just uh, give us those and we'll get it started. Sure. So the push job release I am bringing to the table tonight is Mandy Rose, Sonia Deville, and Liv Morgan. I was trying to think, I wanted to include Mandy Rose in a push job release. And obviously I feel like you can't include Mandy Rose without including Sonia Deville. And I was going to put Paige, but then I kind of thought, well, because Paige has already been so established, and if I could have a healthy Paige in my company right now, I'd probably put her on push over these two. I decided to go with Liv Morgan, the only other uh, member of either Absolution or Riot Squad that are still a part of WWE. So that is where Liv Morgan came from in this equation. So for push... It's tough. That's This is actually a really tough one for me because I honestly hold these three women in pretty high regards very comparatively. I think that all three of them are the same caliber of Ken Go in the ring. I think all three of them are the same caliber of very good with promos and good with character. And it's tough to really say who I'm going to push or job or release. I think that I'm going to push Liv Morgan because I think out of the three... I most potential, maybe I Mandy is kind of close for me to put her in push as well, but Mandy, I think I'd only want to put her in push because she has a much better mainstream appeal look, if that makes any sense. The thing about Liv is Liv is also a very, you know, pretty girl too. So I'm not going to do it based off of looks. I'm going to do it based off of how I would present them in my company. And I think that Liv is a very easy person to present as both a force and as, you know, mainstream appeal and can carry herself well as a champion. So I think that's going to lead me to putting Mandy Rose in my job. Again, somebody I want to keep in the company, somebody I want to 
have as that kind of stepping stone for people if they need it somebody that mandy can just help people continue to rise and go and i mean you're kind of seeing her doing it in nxt right now too she's really just building the talent that's around her right now obviously champion but you know it's it's in a position where everybody around her is 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 doing well and then that leads me to releasing sonia deville I think that's just kind of victim of circumstance for Sonya Deville. I really do not want to say that she's my release because honestly, when they all first debuted, I thought Sonya was going to be the breakout of those six, technically. I mean, I know Paige, technically. Paige was already, you know, established star comparing Absolution Riot Squad. But yeah, I, I think Sonya would get released in this scenario, but released to go sign to another company and do so well at it. Okay. Um, this one's tough. Um, well, it's, it's tough pushy, picking who to push, but um, I'm going to release Mandy. Um, I like Mandy, but I think she's the least talented in the ring. And um, promo-wise, she's, she's fine, especially in NXT as a heel. As a heel, does great promo work. Um, she's good, and she'll get a job elsewhere. So I'd release her. Um, the other two, this is tough because um, you know I'm a huge Liv Morgan mark, but I'm also like Sonya is one of my favorites. Um, I was really hoping, like last year, I wanted her one return at the Rumble and win it. Um, I'm hoping she she's one of my picks to win the Rumble this year. Like it's honestly, uh, next year Survivor Series, it's honestly my dream match is Sonya versus Liv Morgan. Like two like very close friends and two people I think that I think can be the future of the company. I think Sonya is really good technically. And then in the mic, I know you said um, all three of them are close to the mic. I don't think so. I think Sonya, in my opinion, when she was feuding with Mandy and mic work she had in the past, I think she's the second best woman on the mic in WWE, in my opinion. I think she might be top five overall. I know that's a hot take, but I think she's just so fucking good in the mic. When she was feuding with Mandy, I thought it was some of the best promos I've ever heard. Um, and then as a GM, still just really good in the talking role. But I think she can be I ah, this is tough. Liv Morgan is my favorite. Um I have a huge crush on Liv Morgan too. So I want to say push Liv Morgan, but uh I think I push Sonia. I think Sonia has the potential to really be one of the best woman champions of all time. I have that high expectations of her. Um, I job Liv because Liv's my girl, <laughs> and it uh, hurts me to say not push Liv, but um, I just, I, I really, really have high expectations showing you, and release Mandy, and that's it for, um, for yours, that was a good one, three people that really am in a big spotlight right now, and um, I hope all three of the big players that I mean NXT champion Liv Morgan's about to get raw title shot hopefully she wins and Sonya I think they're getting ready for in ring return so we'll see what happens there I think that leads us to uh to mine <clears throat> I'll just I'll just go to the three um John Cena Batista and Randy Orton and I'll just get mine real quick uh push Randy Orton, job, 
John Cena. Oh, that sounds so fucking weird. <laughs> that sounds so wrong. <laughs> Release Batista. That also just sounds wrong. Uh, I know it sounds like uh, that was quick, but I've had this in my mind for like a while. So <laughs> I just think about it harder than that. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, what would you do here, Bill? I don't know. This is a tough one. Batista is one of my favorites ever. And I do have bias towards him. I think it's interesting because I just don't know who I'd put where. Like, they just all do not fit anywhere besides a push again for me. But I think I'd push Batista. The reason for that is because I think that Batista, out of the three, I always had favorite matches of. I, I like booking my champion as a killer. I like the idea of a champion who can play kind of both a face or a heel, depending on who they're going against. So that way you do keep the matchups fresh. And all, all it is is turning them from being the good guy killer to the bad guy killer. So, I mean, I, I think for Batista's sake, you know, the animal... Uh, the animal can be unleashed on whoever they want to be. And I, I think that the, the career trajectory that Batista ended up having was very good. I think I would also job Cena. Again, sounds very weird to say, but Cena would have been a flop if it weren't for him finding the doctor of thugonomics. Wouldn't have been a 16-time world champion, so... I think that Cena being in my mid card, which is where the Dr. Thumbonomics took off, would be all right. I, he would probably transition to having the five moves of doom again. And, you know, if we're going to be critical of WWE from 2008 to like 2015, 14, Cena just ran rough shot and uh, turned me off a little bit, considering that is the time where I took a break from wrestling. Was Cena just five moving of dooming everybody that? came through the wwe and then i would release orton which again sounds so weird but like third generation superstar actually so talented in the ring so talented on the mic is a 14-time world champion no doubt potential two-time hall of famer and maybe even three honestly kind of going back to thinking about maybe a rated rko as well considering they've been putting a lot of tag teams uh like that in or I mean, hey, RK Bro could take off. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that. I'm not gonna not will that into existence for you there, Juice. But yeah, I think I think Orton though, Orton might just be my least favorite out of the three, in all honesty. But it's not like I'm not. But that's not to say I don't think Orton is a great wrestler and not part of like my top ten or fifteen favorite wrestlers of all time. So yeah, I think I'm pushing Batista, jobbing Cena, releasing Orton. I mean, it's fair. Duh, do what you gotta do, and that's one that's impossible. Like, if you have all three in your company, they're all gonna be in your upper card. <laughs> None of them are gonna be in the middle. None of them are gonna be released. But I mean, that's the point of this little exercise. So now let's move on to another recurring uh, segment: Young Studs stud at Spotlight. People twenty-nine and under. Uh, I'll start with mine. Mine's a little bit more known of a wrestler, but I love that you're picking any guys because um, we definitely should pick more indie people. I think that's the point of this. Um, and I, I've just been picking, like, bigger names for now. I'll, I'll get to indies eventually, but I just want to make sure I get some of these people in. Um, mine's Will Osprey. Um, think what you want about him personally, but um, the dude's one of the best in-ring wrestlers in the world. Um, he 
he's a high flyer. He's technical. Uh, he's got a power game to him. He is a jack of all trades. He is the most balanced in-ring wrestler I can think of today. Um, and his storytelling and promo work is just fire too. Uh, matches to recommend of his. Uh, the, last, the last Wrestle Kingdom, him versus Okada. Um, another match, <clears throat> I forget which promotion. It's in Japan, but it's like a lesser known promotion. He and Matt Riddle faced off in like a 15 minute match. It's on YouTube. I definitely recommend people uh, check it out. It was, a, it was a fire match. And yeah, those are two recommendations for Will Osprey. And uh, that's it for my young stuff. Yeah, and I. I uh, I have good things to say about Will Ospreay, too. I think he's very good. I think if and when he comes to the American wrestling scene, he is going to absolutely tear it up. But I think that New Japan is a more than fine place for him to be at this point in his career. And I really do like watching him work. I think he's easily within the conversation of top 10, 15 wrestlers in the world. But my young stud that I bring to the table tonight, or studette, I should say, is none other than Willow Nightingale. If you do not know who Willow Nightingale is, she is an independent wrestler who has been doing a lot of work in the Northeast, but has also wrestled in places like GCW. And she is extremely talented. I mean, she is like a picture-perfect baby face. She has the colorful attire, the big hair, big, beautiful smile. I mean... She has the size, she has the strength, she's flashy, she's does flips, she does punches, you know, she just she just does not really hold anything back in her game. And we saw her for the first time, or I rather, I saw her for the first time at uh, the Beyond show that we went to a few weekends ago, and the crowd just loved her. I instantly fell in love with her as a character and her as a person. You can just tell she comes across as a genuine person, somebody that if you had her in a company, be easily, you know, top baby face. And if you ever turned her heel, I'm sure she, I, I, she's like the, she almost reminds me of like a Bailey where it's like her character work as a baby face is so good. And her in-ring work as the character is so good, but turn her heel and I bet she will tear it up. You know, now that she can finally let her hair down and finally say what she's always wanted to say about the wrestling fans that treat her weird or say weird things about her. So I highly would recommend if you do not know anything about Willow Nightingale to uh, check her out. Uh, one match actually in particular that I would highlight is a uh, match from uh, GCW. It was her versus Holiday. I do not actually remember what the stipulations of the match were, but uh, tables were used. I'm sorry, a door was used for a big spot. Uh, both women, you know, almost a little bit more of like a hoss battle to uh, women on the bigger side who, who did power moves and have their own flashy moves. And uh, if you don't know who she is, definitely check her out. She's probably going to be somebody you're going to see on a television set within the next five years. And I do not feel any bit uncomfortable saying that. Yeah, I think she's a star in the making. Um, I was only a little bit familiar before we started live, and um, remember I told you I told her her name and um, said that she's definitely was one of the, like uh, better indie wrestlers on that card. And um, yeah, we both bought in very quickly quickly to her. Um, we we're definitely both rooting for her and cheering pretty loud for. Her. 
And um, yeah, she's a great baby face, but I think the Bailey comparison was a great one. Um, kind of similar styles too. Um, I think she's probably a bit more athletic because she has a really good move set. Um, when you uh, when I saw you put her on our little uh, plan, I um, I watched a couple more matches of her because um, I did after we saw her live too. Because she definitely really appealed to me. And um, a match of hers I recommend is a. Uh, her versus Trish Dora from Women, Women's Wrestling Revolution. Find that on YouTube, too. Um, that's a great one. And then the Hall Dead from GCW, I've seen that, too. Uh, Hall Dead's really good, and you put both of them together, that's a fire match. And Trish is really fucking good as well. Um, yeah. Um, bright future for her. I agree with that. And that was really good. Uh, you know, stud spotlight. That was... You and killing it with the last two, her and Davy. <clears throat> yeah, those are good ones. That's a good one. Final segment of the show, and it's another discussion slash debate. Um, this question: Should WWE reduce the number of pay-per-views? Is one a month, excluding takeovers, too much? So, I mean, they have one main roster every month. Uh, I think it's a bit much. I mean, I love, I love watching wrestling. You know, I, I watch almost fucking everything. And, um, I actually do like having a pay-per-view to watch every month. There's always something good from all of them, but I think you're taking away from the impact of stories and you're kind of making long-term storytelling not a thing. And AW having four a year or NXT having only four or five takeovers a year um it creates better stories and better storytelling and better builds and it's easier to get high quality remember like memorable matches when you're only doing a few i don't think they had to cut the four year i mean i'd be fine with one every two months um keep keep the big ones so i'd keep money in the bank obviously wrestlemania <laughs> obviously royal rumble uh, obviously SummerSlam, uh, obviously Survivor Series, so that's five, um, and then the six. I'd bring back Armageddon and put Elimination Chamber match in that, <laughs> or No Way Out. Uh, you can name it wherever you want. The sixth one is just Elimination Chamber, but change the name from Elimination Chamber to something else. That's why I do. Those are the, the. I think the six is a better number than twelve. Even more that some they have times they have two like in a month so yeah um that's my take on that what about you Billy? no I, I completely agree i think um in the philosophy of less is more especially when it comes to professional wrestling i was never not a fan of brand exclusive pay-per-views the thing about wwe is you need to commit to being brand exclusive right because you can do the two a month or i'm sorry the one every two months where in the sense of technically you do run a pay-per-view every month, but the brands switch off, you know? I mean, yeah, you're going to have the big four. Again, I think that Money in the Bank should just go back to being at WrestleMania. I thought that that was such a cool part of WrestleMania when it got introduced oh, that yeah. way. Yeah, I actually agree with that. I changed my I'd probably get rid of that and make that brand exclusive pay-per-view. Same thing with the Lemonade Chamber. Sorry to cut you off, man. You can continue. No, you're good. So, yeah, and I, I, I'm not going to say that they should stop doing it cold turkey. I, I, I like, I actually really like the six pay-per-view idea being the big four and then each 
brand kind of just has like their one big pay-per-view you know maybe they can just happen consecutively months after each other because i believe there is a certain period of time i'm just trying to think what that time period is where they don't have two paper two big four pay-per-views in a row for months from each other but yeah i i don't know i I think that they can continue to do the the once every month only if they really commit to brand exclusiveness because you have to think about their their roster is stacked and wwe's philosophy seems like for a while is always going to try and get as many guys on the car as they can i think that brand exclusive pay-per-views really do help that out getting the the big matches on the big four you know you get each brand gets their big marquee match you know like the like an aj styles versus randy orton or something like that you know where giving them a championship match and then their tag team title match their women's title matches you know just just so every match on the combined big four pay-per-view cards just have a big match feels to them whereas way when you trade off on the smaller pay-per-views you your smaller feuds still get that time of day to culminate in a big pay-per-view where they won't get overshadowed by the best of the best workers in the wwe getting you know getting putting on putting on better matches because they are more established so i i think that from the sense of does it give talent more ability to show off yes but then you look at AEW and how they're doing it with the special tv episodes with only having their big of them their big four and they're thriving people are thinking they're one of the best if not the best wrestling company in the world right now so if AEW, i feel like has proved that the smaller pay-per-view schedule can work so long as you're committed to doing those special episodes, doing events where you allow smaller feuds to really culminate. And I just don't know if WWE's philosophies right now are, are aligning to that. So should they, re- should they reduce it? No, but if you don't reduce it, do more brand exclusive stuff. But if you are going to reduce it, do six and do big four, one big pay-per-view for each brand. Yeah, I think that's definitely a formula that would work a lot better. And also it would reduce pay-per-view rematches, which is a big a big criticism of WWE. Uh, we don't really see rematches in AEW in terms of pay-per-views. And when there are rematches, it's, it's really, um, you know, they space them out really well. It's not just like, 10 matches in a row these people face each other over and over again (laughs) um and a lot of them being pointless matches um yeah and they do have i mean nxt runs their show in a similar way that AEW does that they only have a few takeovers a year and then they have special episodes like Halloween Havoc and Great American Bash and New Year's Evil and stuff like that. Um, and I think WWE definitely can do it. And it would bring back some like some of these classics. Like I'd love I'd love for like um, <laughs> this is this is a bad example, but um <laughs> Balls of Fury <laughs> just bring that just to make fun of themselves. <laughs> I'd watch that TV episode Monday Night Raw brings up Balls of Fury. <laughs> wasn't really much debate, more discussion, but definitely, yeah, definitely had to bring it up since they just keep banging out pay-per-view after pay-per-view. And also, it just damages build. There's a lot of these pay-per-views don't get built. Like, people are complaining about Survivor Series that um, 
It's a Sunday, but it will come out yesterday because this release is on a, on a Monday. Um, people complain about there's no build for that for any of the matches. Um, I think there's build for one match, but one match. There's more than one match, so it's bad. And I think that would this would help um, remedy that because it's not like this is the only WWE pay per view where that happens. That's like most of them. Yeah, I think that's it for that subject for me. And I think that's also it for the show. Um, Billy, anything you want to add before we finish up? No, I do not think I do. So as we come crashing down here tonight, we just want to thank you again for tuning in. Juice, where can the people find us on social media to stay in the action? Yeah, on Twitter, we are on capital T, capital O, capital T, capital C, underscore, capital T, lowercase O, lowercase D. That's a Twitter handle. Um, on Instagram, it's TOTC underscore pod, all lowercase. Interact with us, send in your push job releases, what you do for when you're doing the show, and even recommend like original ones. We'll do them on the show and we'll shout you out. Uh, we do a good job at that. I mean, if give us ideas we will 100% shout you out we will not take credit and that goes for you know studs as well uh, send us some like even dm us like you do videos of matches from a 25 year old indie wrestler from nebraska that we've never heard of and only wrestles around there i don't care it's really good i want to watch it um most indie matches are pretty short anyways so like that's fine uh, that's it. Uh, that's it for me, and that's it for our social media plug. And again, thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we hope to catch you next time.